Welcome to the Robin or Sherwood podcast. As usual, I've got Dan and Karen with me. Hi. Hiya. Today we're going to talk about Little John and Nazir. So we've got two characters here, and one of them has been in the legend from the start, and one of them hasn't. What we're going to talk about is the, the historical aspects to begin with. So we may as well start with Little John. Where does he come from? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's actually an origin story uh, for John in the original ballads. I mean, the earliest we hear about him is from these sort of 14th century stories, um, Robin Hood and the Monk and uh, the death of Robin Hood, etc., where he's uh, basically Robin's lieutenant. Yeah, I mean, he's there right from the start, but they don't add his origin story until later. Funnily enough, from a Robin of Sherwood point of view, in one of his earliest outings in Robin Hood and the Monk, he praises the May morning. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, that may have been a sneaky little nick there from Kip. We don't know. I, I think in the Robin Hood and the Monk, it might be that one again, where he actually leaves the band as well, which is quite interesting, because obviously Kip has Scarlet leaving the band. But, of course, in... Uh, the King's Fool, they all leave anyway, so... Yeah, and also in Rotterkin. Yes. Yeah, John, John actually does leave in that one. Yeah, for a short time. Spoilers, if you've not seen it. But yeah, John's... um, He's actually a really um, interesting character in the sense that he's the one who changes the least. Mm. In in all the incarnations, he's, he remains, by and large the same character even robin's changing all, all the others are changing and he's like this rock in the center that that you know everybody else circles around but he he stays the same okay yeah he pretty much has the same role but i mean both in the series and in legend he comes from Havisage. have you ever yeah. visited there yeah yeah i've been yeah me too i've not been for probably getting on for 30 years it was something that was on my list to do again this summer because it's not that far away from me. But whether I will get there now yeah. is debatable. But, yeah, I mean, really interesting place to, to visit. And like you say, it's ne- they've never had Little John, as far as I recall, coming from anywhere else. If he's ever mentioned, he's connected to Habersage. Yeah. There is quite a bit of um, mythology in the area um, regarding Little John. For example, they said that they actually actually excavated the grave at one point and found a big uh, thigh bone. And also that at one point they had a longbow in there that was uh, said to be his and that it was huge. But as, as they tend to do, they managed to lose these things. <laughs> yes. So they tend to be just stories. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read something about that they'd had the Robin Hood May games taking part at Hather Sage. See Tucker Marion's podcast for more info. But mm. they, they was a theory that possibly the guy who was buried there was somebody who had continually been playing Little John in these games had, and had become known as Little John. Yeah, but, okay. um, you know, that's just guessing. A- another interesting fact is Habersage is about eight miles away from Loxley. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's um, <clears throat> although the, the Loxley connection to Robin is, is more tenuous than Habersage to Little John, it's quite interesting that, you know, that, that there is that correlation there. Yeah. I mean, in the original stories, they take place in further north, right? In Barnsdale and stuff. Yeah, it's... Uh, all, I mean, Sherwood's um, mentioned pretty early on, but from what, from what I remember reading, which is for a long time ago, Barnsdale and Sherwood sort of just blended together and they were both under the control of the Sheriff of Nottingham anyway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he could he could have just been an outlaw who roamed around and that was how he kept free if we are taking that there is any uh, real historical facts behind the outlaws at all mm. there probably is something vaguely yeah i mean there were there certainly would have been outlaws in those forests i don't think oh, yeah. anybody's going to argue with that probably 
packed with them. Yeah. <laughs> but no, where I grew up, there were loads of Robin Hood uh, place names and stuff that, that went back a long time. And that was uh, in uh, South Yorkshire. So not that far from Locksley and stuff. So I used to wander around looking for these places. <laughs> it used to be quite hard to find some of them, but I did find a lot of them. And they, yeah, they are there in the area. So it's just something around Tavisage that, uh, that's got that link and has had for a long time. So it's good that they uh, incorporated it into the series. Yeah, yeah it's, added a, it's just added that extra layer, which the show has a lot just putting those little things in which you can either delve into like all of us three have or yeah. it, it can just wash over you and it doesn't it doesn't really matter but it but it's just nice that it's there if you want to look it just somehow it makes it slightly more real yeah i don't know how it just does and it, it just feels like you can touch it in a way it, it becomes slightly more believable that the places that actually exist or a lot of them and have those connections. So that's the historical aspect of Little John and now we get to Nasir and now that it gets quite interesting to discuss this guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I seem to think we've discussed this before, but have there been Saracens in Robin Hood before or is this a new idea? Go on, Dan, this is your area. <laughs> Well, there is um, a Robin Hood story from the 1800s, I believe. I can't remember for the life of me what the name of it is now. It's gone off my head. But um, it talks of, it's the first time a Saracen is talked of in the band of Merry Men. Uh, he's not in it for very long. Uh, he plays the part of a sorcerer, really, with his daughter. And I then, can tell yeah. you if you want. If, oh, I have got the details. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, go for yeah. it. Um, the, the guy who wrote the stories is called Joaquin Stockkayla, something like that. Yeah. He, wrote, he wrote two Robin Hood tales, Robin Hood and Richard Coeur de Leon, 1846, and Maid Marian or the Forest Queen in 1849. And apparently there's Saracens in both of them. Yeah, that's right. So that so go on, yeah, that, that's, that was my one fact. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, as I was saying, he ends up actually betraying the outlaws and I think meets a very grisly end. So, um, but, mm. so yes, there were Saracens in the Robin Hood story before, but obviously uh, Kip is the one that has uh, made it his own, so to speak. Um, yeah. But was, it, was it Kip or was it Ian Sharp? Who, uh, who invented this? That's, that's the thing, yes, absolutely. Because, of course, uh, Mark Ryan's character was meant to be Edmund the Archer, who was meant to have been uh, killed at the end of the second episode. It was then judged that uh, um, it wasn't going to be Edmund anymore. It would be uh, Nazir the Saracen. And um, I think you know more about the story, Gary. Yeah, apparently um, what it was, was Mark Ryan went on set and he was really popular and Paul Knight realised we've got some potential here and he said to Kip, we've got this guy and he's really good, how can we keep him? And Kip said, he's going to die. <laughs> and then Ian Sharp said, look, you're not, um, you're not Edmund the Archer, you're not yeah, the Saracen. And Kip said, what? You can't have a Saracen running around in Sherwood Forest because they won't accept him. They're going to rip him to pieces. Mm. It's just, you just can't do it. And they obviously decided that they could. Um, and um, he's entered into this kind of iconic uh, character, which is yeah. cool in Robin Hood. Now, I don't know how historically it actually worked because Kip uh, at the time was pretty much against it and he I'm presuming, well, I know he did his research into the history. Yeah, I've, I've done a bit of historical research because this is something that quite intrigued me when I started thinking about it. I had a look, uh, I consulted David Olish Shargo's Black and British book. Uh, unfortunately, that only deals with people of um, African ancestry. So that was no help. So I started digging around a bit further uh, basically, the, what I could find really very little about anyone of an Islamic background in 
Britain in the medieval period. Um, I found this quote, which I thought was quite interesting. Christians could not accept that Islam was a coherent religious belief. Instead, they dismissed it as a pagan polytheism or a heretical defamation of Christianity. Much Muslim theology discouraged travel into Christian lands or the house of war, which was regarded as a perpetual adversary of the house of Islam. So it, when you've got the background historically of the Crusades, which obviously we know Richard the Lionheart was, was going over um, to the Middle East and, um, you know, bashing up um, any Muslims, um, and that's that's the prevailing feeling in 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 England at the time. And then you're obviously from the Islamic side, you you've also got them saying, you know, don't go over there. Then I think the real likelihood of there being a Saracen in the UK is very very small. Um, which probably explains why Kip was aghast at the idea <laughs> because he would have done his research obviously and I'm sure much more in depth than I quickly done or you know I, I could find very very little. Yeah I mean I mean luckily we have the idea of the crusaders and bringing back um, prisoners and uh, this whole idea of the of Simon de Belém and able to basically control people through magic yeah, I mean, the idea within Robin of Sherwood is is completely plausible. Um, and, and I think that's that's what sells it. Whoever came up with that idea does sell it. Although we've got no... We, we, there's never been a hint that Nazir's been possessed or... or, or no. He seems quite willing to come over. But I always fed that into sort of the whole Sarak thing and... What, you know, like, he's just like, I'm out of here. And Hanny was accepting the job to come to England. Yeah, Miss Belém's bodyguard. It yeah. You interpret it. Because, I mean, I always assumed he was somehow possessed, but you just don't know. That's the problem with shoehorning your character in at the last minute. Yes. Unless the spell was broken when Belém uh, was killed, we don't actually see um, Nazir entranced. Yeah, but then at that point, you have to wonder why he spends 10 minutes trying to kill Robin. Yes, true. <laughs> Instead of just, like, saying, hey, I'm out of here. I'll find yeah. you guys later. Um, so it is kind of problematic in some ways that we don't know. But then we don't really need to, I guess. Hmm. No, it's just, I suppose it's one of those interesting backstory things that... Um, you could pursue if you wanted to, but the, the series itself didn't give us that much to go on. It's kind of more problematic in Greatest Enemy when you have a couple of Arabs wandering around dressed as Arabs in show. Yeah, yeah, and also Sarak turning yeah. up as well. You know, when, when when we're taking the historical fact is that, you know, that it looks extremely unlikely one Saracen would be over... When we've got herds popping over to visit him, it starts to yeah. make the premise a little bit weaker. Yeah, when you keep bringing more and more in, it's like, um, oh, we right, I've settled here. I got to get my family over. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, it's just kind of a tricky thing in terms of storytelling. What's how many Saracens there can be? And how many brothers and sisters of the outlaws are you going to actually bring into the series as well? Yeah. <laughs> Much suddenly developing a grandfather that lived very conveniently in Nottingham, for instance. <laughs> yeah, I thought that odd as well. Uh, it is a nice little flavouring to Ross because we have um, we have the Saracen in it, hmm. who's not been in a filmed version before, as far as we know. Yeah, I mean, I I, I tend to think that. Nazir being there is is actually one of the reasons I think that um, Robin of Sherwood hasn't dated too badly because it's still quite a modern idea um, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. you, to, to bring in ethnic minorities into the series and it's still quite fresh. I mean, I, I, I do think that if they were making Robin of Sherwood 
at the moment, Mark Ryan would have had zero chance of being cast, and that's no denigration on him at all. But if they were doing it now, they would have obviously cast somebody who had Middle Eastern heritage. Yeah, there's just no way in hell that he'd get the job. Because yeah. he's very good in the role. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's nothing... It's, it's nothing just, against him at all. It's, it's, it was almost on the cusp of them getting away with him being cast when Robin of Sherwood was made, really. Well, you know, things were, start, move, were certainly moving away from that. And yet I never gave it a second thought when I was watching it as a kid. Not a second thought. It's only in the last few years, or recently, I should say, that it's become any kind of controversial issue anyway. Yeah. Just the culture's changing and... And it's just any something that wasn't a problem before suddenly is. And you can't go back and refilm it or do anything with it. It is what it is. But some stuff just is suddenly problematic. I don't think so much Robin Sherwood because it's not uh, well known enough. I think the more, unfortunately, we got to know about um, Nazir, and it goes with most characters as well, the more it kind of starts to unravel for me, though. I mean, Nazir's uh, fascination is the fact that little is known about him. He hardly talks and so forth. I mean, how do you guys feel about uh, him being in a, uh, from a Hashishinian assassin sect? I mean, to me, that never really fit very well within being a, in a band of righteous freedom fighters that he's suddenly this hard as nails totally merciless assassin type mm, i think it works fine for a character like in um, the clint eastwood character mm. but it's difficult when you've got him in a big group yes and if you have those skills then maybe teach him to the rest of the band yes or something so, but I, mean, then... I, n I never felt he had any particular skills that the others didn't have you know you you guys might feel differently about it i mean yeah you know he's one of their probably top couple of fighters i wouldn't i personally don't think he's any particularly better than the others although they keep telling me he is i don't <laughs> i don't see it on screen do you know what i mean no I, they're fairly equal i think in the modern world. yeah so if he's if he's um you know this deadly assassin the only time we really, I, I think, get any kind of glimpse into it that I can think of is in The Greatest Enemy when he's sneaking into Wickham. Yeah. Um, mm. And that, to me, is the only thing I can think of when I'm, I'm seeing some kind of stealth tactics from him yeah. that, that I don't normally see on the screen. But no one with any real brains is going to go through the centre of a village. No, I mean, I could quite easily you take, take Nazira. I could see, say, Will or, or Much doing that. The, the, um, I mean, if you've had training in this kind of thing, you look at the place from a distance, try and figure out where the, where the uh, captives are and do what the hooded man did, which is cut a hole in the back of the hut. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, and just, you don't fight through 30 guys because you yeah. know you win. Oh, at least you wait as long as you can and figure out how to do it in the most efficient manner. That's what assassination is, is being efficient. Yeah. You know? It's, and you it's never totally... see the person coming. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point. So it's kind of, it's kind of, on the one hand, he's really cool and iconic, and on the other hand, I'm kind of sometimes thinking, what? Come on. I think Ian Sharp had a much better idea of who Nazir is and how to use him than the letter director. Yes. Because he Yeah, I mean certainly if he was the one Yeah. Yeah, he was the one who argued for the character. Yeah. Or or came up with it. He's the one with the vision. Um yeah. and everybody else is left sort of trying to imagine what his vision was, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always thought as well, you know, Nazir with the two swords, that, that's great on one level, but if you're uh, having to be defensive when you're fighting, that's not really so good. No. It makes sense that you'd have a shield in your other hand, not necessarily another sword. You know, it's, um, it's very hard to fight with two swords. Um, and... There's very little historical evidence uh, for fighting outside of uh, 
tournaments and prize show fights. Um, so yeah, there is that. And, I mean, none of the none of the outlaws have got shields, um, and you'll often see Will, for example, has often got a knife in his other hand, yeah. which kind of makes a bit more sense. Mm. But but it really looks cool. Two, you know, which is probably about as far as they went when they were thinking about it. Was it just looks cool? Yeah, this is the problem. Look- I mean, Nazir for me is like a pimped out Dungeons and Dragons character. It's the kind of character that, as a teenager, you would generate if you're playing a fancy role play game. You know, you'd want this uh, pumped up character, two swords, daggers. You want him to uh, be great at everything. And um, you know, it's it's um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing for me is that Robin had the same time as Cannon and Ball. Uh, yes. <laughs> so you have who looks like this sword-wielding Bobby Ball sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're being very mean. <laughs> I mean, if you think of it that way, if you think of who else was on TV at the time who looked like that, Yes. It's, it's basically you had Nazir, Bobby Ball, and Jeremy Beadle. <laughs> uh, well, you, you the do see from, it with the um, stuntman, don't you, when he, he's yeah. got the curly wig on. That's yeah. when you really... Yeah. The guy from Ranta Ghost as well. Hey, Timothy Claypole. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's like you had those four guys that, that were interchangeable in my mind because they looked alike to me. That, that, now, that would be some crossover fan fiction, that would be. Timothy Claypole in Sherwood Forest. <laughs> Give it that, a few that. weeks. <laughs> I love it. Love it. And Dobbin is Fury. <laughs> oh, God. Probably based on that. <laughs> yeah. Mind you, you'd get about quite fast, wouldn't you, if you put your hoof up to his nose? Yeah. <laughs> it's McWitch. P- people who are considerably younger than us are now going, what excuse the me? They'll be on um, Wikipedia as we speak. <laughs> Go <laughs> and watch Red the Ghost on YouTube. Give yourself a treat. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we'll do a Rent a Ghost podcast later. <laughs> yeah, let's do a Rent a Ghost one. Yeah, we'll do a crossover before anyone beats us to it. <laughs> Um, okay, so back to Robin of Sherwood, and like oh. he had this little John character, and as I recall in the ballads, he was quite a weird guy. It was extremely violent, and I seem to recall a story where they find a monk and cut his head off and stuff. That that yeah. sounds like Robin Hood and the monk. Yeah, mm. it could possibly be. Yeah, no, I mean the early ballads were. Um, very violent. The one with Guy of Gisborne's uh, a case in point. Um, but, you know, I guess it was more violent times, wasn't it? Yeah. But in Robin and Sherwood, of course, we got a very different Little John than we've had before. Because our Little John is more human, I think. A bit more of a rounded character than we had in the early He's definitely the heart of the Marys. And um, Clive honestly he's just so perfect in the role um i don't think anybody could have played that role better than clive did um he was just absolutely pitch perfect through all of the three seasons i don't think there was a single moment when where you just thought oh no that's you know that's not right he just absolutely hit every note he was brilliant yeah he nailed the whole thing but what yeah. I liked about it was that he was so emotional in the whole thing. Yeah. And at the end of Robin Hood and the Sorcerer, when he's um, caused the death of so many of the outlaws, basically, he just breaks down. Yeah. Actually, thinking about it, um, most of the Marys are quite emotional at some point or other. And I think that's really good, because particularly in the 80s, you weren't seeing that a lot on screen. Um, and these are all tough guys, you know. They're they're fighting, you know, da da da, all the time. That you know, if there's any fight, they're not running from it. They're stepping up. They're being heroes, and yet they're also wearing the hearts on the sleeves, being emotional, and crying. P- P. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, I like the fact that they were so emotional because it makes them really relatable and real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's some, it's something I've not thought about before, but it, it's actually probably one of the things that I like best about the series. I think if, I mean, if you look at, I mean, a lot of the old films, they're very much like just these jolly characters, especially Little John. Yeah, yeah. it's like slap your thighs time, isn't it? Yeah, and they really showed, they had the time to show a new side to all these characters. But especially Little John. And speaking of which, what are your favourite scenes with Little John and this year? Are there any? That my my favourite John scene is is uh, the, the whole section in Hearn's Son. Uh, right, yeah. I mean, it's a really obvious one, but it's an absolutely beautiful scene. Clive, again, absolutely nails it. It's beautifully written. Um, just everything about it is just perfect. I think I've, just recently I've been watching Ruttekin, and uh, that's one of uh, my favourite scenes where he comes to the um, the outlaws with Meg, and Scarlet's basically kind of like, what's she doing here? So like, She's with, with 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 me, and I thought that was really good and really well played. And the whole saying goodbye to everyone that was, you know, really quite an emotional scene. Um, that and the King's Fool, of course. Yeah, I was going to say King's Fool, and I was amazed yeah. that you guys didn't um, leap on it straight away. So I almost thought <laughs> I got away with that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I love um, the ones you said. The handsome is just beautiful when he talks about Robin Loxley. And um, the Rutterkin scene is great, and it's just so uh, heartwarming, the way it's played with all the characters. It's, it, the whole thing plays beautifully, and of course the King's Four, he has that classic speech. Yeah. Robin, and it's, it's just so well done by Clive and Michael. And it just gets you every time. It's, um, it's a thing of beauty, I think. It's one of the best scenes in the whole show. Mm. And of course, we have a character that links these two characters together, and that's Simon de Belem. So, this Simon de Belem guy, where the hell does he come from? Is he a historical character? Or? Yeah, he's based on a very real character called uh, Robert de Belem, um, who had a castle in Bridge North. And again, just like uh, Kip's um, written for Simon de Belem, he was up to uh, yeah, very much a lot of nastiness. Um, I think he, I think he actually killed his wife. I'm not actually sure. Uh, yeah, but... I, I was just saying. I was just thinking that I, I seem to remember a story where he tied his pregnant wife underneath his horse, That's, um, yeah. Yeah. and went galloping around. So the horse basically kicked her to death and the baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was just, until you said that, I was just thinking, was that Belem or am I getting confused with somebody else? No, I think you're right. Doesn't he appear in the uh, E. Charles Vivian book? He does, but he's called Isambard Belem in that one. Yeah, because that, that seems to be a huge um, inspiration for Robin Sherwood. Absolutely. You've also got Abbott Hugo, Robert Dorano, uh Dark Mirror, or it's called Evil Mirror in um, yeah, Charles Vivian. Yeah. And yeah, you've got also a Roger, Roger de Karnak uh, clone as such as well. And um, I think actually in his Marion is meant to marry Belem actually in, 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 in that version too. <laughs> I wonder if um, his estate has ever got slightly upset. <laughs> You wonder, it's, yeah. It's homage, remember, it's homage. Yeah, you can do you're, that. you're allowed to do that. Yeah, without stealing. I think he is out of copyright now, but I, I'm saying not sure if he has an estate still. Yeah. yeah it's about, he's about 100 years on books, copyright. I believe so, yes. Yeah, I yeah. remember the version I had of that was from the 1930s. Okay. All right, so it might, might have been, it well, so it would be in copyright still. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know when it was published. Mm. That I don't know. I mean, my version said it was 1938 or something. Yeah. But I don't remember because I don't have it anymore. <laughs> I just remember thinking, oh, kid. 
<laughs> even mm-hmm. even down to the bewitched sword being on a piece of string and um, disguising yourself as potters. And uh, I think the sheriff was captured in uh, Sherwood too and uh, eats with the outlaws, which is almost word for word part of uh, one of the scenes he did in the third series. <laughs> cheeky, he was a cheeky guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what do you think of all this uh, possession and stuff? Does it hold up? Is it is it a worthwhile thing? It, it's not my favourite things within the series. Um, from my point of view, my favourite bits have always been the fact that it's rooted in history, um, and that you can you can take these little things like De, De Belem and you can go and research them, and he's real. But the the possession. Things. I mean, it, it works within the Robin of Sherwood universe, but I, I'm always wary that it that it should never be overdone. And I think the series walks the right side of that. I, you know, I don't think there's an episode in series two that doesn't have someone in some way possessed out of all seven. Possibly, yeah. yeah. So I thought I couldn't understand for years why they call Richard Carpenter Kip, and then I realised it means keeps including possession. so yeah i mean i don't mind it but when you're watching them back to back it kind of jumps out as like oh this yeah and yeah funnily enough the second series is the the series that i think is held up as perfect robin of sherwood yeah Mm. it has some of the best ones yeah so um yeah it's funny because it the series that I'm really enjoying at the moment, which is The Last Kingdom, they have uh, magical characters and magical doings going off in there as well. But they play it very differently to Robin of Sherwood because everything that happens in there, that, that the characters in ninth uh, century Britain are interpreting as a magical event. Or, or a curse or whatever it is you can watch it as a modern audience and you've got a rational explanation for it like it's sepsis or 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 what have you um and i, I quite like that take on it which obviously robin sherwood didn't do you're you're in there and and whether it's mad mab or or Belem or whoever you as the audience are believing that these characters really do have magical powers i mean they said they wanted to make the magic ambiguous in the that was in the first season but then have a guy who can do magic cuts so it's it's either one or the other yeah, yeah. i mean it, it, if that was what they were striving for in, uh, then i'm sorry they failed yeah <laughs> you know because in in the robin of sherwood universe magic is real and exists it's not it's not a matter of an uneducated peasant going oh you know oh that's a bit of magic no it, it it's real and it exists in that universe yeah genuinely does you can't get out of it and say no it's it's ambiguous it's really not so a big difference in what you're doing in modern tv show and what you're doing in the 80s how yeah i mean whether it's just the fashion or it's just how they're choosing to do it in the last kingdom i mean vikings for example they do have some weird magical doings that go on uh, very very sporadically but they play it as real in their universe so uh, it's, i suppose it's just what they choose to do yeah and kip just went for the magical aspect and then yeah just- but it adds a, it adds a whole extra yeah, layer, to layer it. doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's that. It, I think that's what appealed to me initially was it was that sort of mashing of um, King Arthur legend and feel with the Robin Hood legend, yeah. which felt quite obvious thing to do, but nobody had ever done it. No, I mean it does. It obviously works because we're still here forty years later trying to figure out what it all means. <laughs> <laughs> so we have John and Meg, but Nazia doesn't have any kind of uh, relationships that, in the series. So he's on Fatima. Like, <laughs> cut. Don't tease people with cut stuff. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. 
but anyway, well, um, you know, she, she in Lord of the Trees, of course, in the time of the blessing, he had two girlfriends. Well, he had two women. That's a different thing. John well, has a relationship. He has two women on his own. <laughs> so, would you have liked to have seen anything like that if we went into a series four? I mean, we have John and Meg, which was an unresolved plotline. Where would you like to see these characters go? Um, I was just wondering with Nazir, actually. I don't know the answer to this, unless one of you two do. But with the assassins, the Hashashin, were they supposed to be celibate? Because I know the, the reward for them waiting in heaven was a thousand virgins, wasn't it? Um, and it's just making me wonder if they were supposed to be celibate till then, but I, I, I have no idea. That's just me wondering aloud. Ooh, I'd rather not take the chance and have a thousand virgins down here. <laughs> but this I'm just imagining a lots of people from uh, Games Workshop and uh, yeah, how much fun are we having? <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I suppose, I suppose from a practical point of view, I mean, you know, we've got, we've got a Saracen wandering about in medieval England who we've already established in general, people are going to be extremely suspicious of at best and probably want to kill him uh, to get on the right side of God, uh, a worst case scenario. So I can't see him... Uh, particularly when his grasp of English is probably not the best, would we say? I, I can't see him being that popular with the women. And then he's an outlaw on top of that. I, I, is he a good prospect for a for a fling, do we think? Well, you better answer that one because I'm not, I'm not <laughs> well I was just I was just thinking as well, um in some of the reading I've been doing about uh, Muslim portrayals in medieval England, uh, in medieval <coughs> Europe. And um, I was just thinking they had had a, um, one of the, the stories that I was reading was um, some lady had got involved with, um, had married a Muslim, I seem to remember, uh, you know, one of these arranged marriages. And um, they'd had, a, she'd refused to convert she'd had a child and it was uh, hideously deformed and it was basically down to, you know, the, him being not a Christian. Yeah. Um, so again, if, you're, if, we, if we're going into reality, that's really not gonna make him appeal to you, is it? You're, he's like one level above a demon, really. <laughs> I can't think of any real storylines I would like from this. Yeah. No, it's it's a it is a tricky. Uh, to be actually, I'll tell you the storyline I would really have liked to see is I would like to see him encountering prejudice. Yeah. Um. Uh, in some in some way, like I don't know, he's gone to Nottingham. Uh, let's say he's gone to Nottingham to get his boots repaired, and there's a near riot. Um, you know, and and he's having to be rescued. Let's say John. Let's say John and Will have gone as well, and they're they've they've separated, and then they can hear the row, and they've got to go, and those three have got to fight their way out. Basically, and it all kicks off. But uh, so it's just something like that as a subplot where you just um, you're just seeing that prejudice against him, which I don't think the series really ever explored. No, not at all. But That's me, the only one I can think of. To me, he works best on his own because you've already done the guys coming from uh, the Middle East to kill him. Yeah, I definitely don't, don't want to see him. any more Saracens. <laughs> <laughs> no Saracens in Sherwood. That would be my plaque. <laughs> yeah. So you can't really delve into his uh, backstory because you've kind of covered it in the series. Yeah. Unless you do something from the Knights of the Apocalypse, but that's I mean, they tried to do it a bit there with the uh, the knight who killed his wife in the deleted scene and stuff. Unless um, he was actually in the Welsh marches for about a year, wasn't he, after The Greatest Enemy? So maybe, yeah. I don't know, yeah. maybe he'd opened up a little shop or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just tend to think he was hiding. Yeah. You know? He was wandering around being a mercenary, just taking off. 
missions and jobs. Yeah, I mean, you could read anything into it, couldn't you? I I just generally thought he was basically hiding. You could do a story that comes out of that. Mm. He did as a consequence of that. Mm. I I think that might be interesting because then you've got, like, you can involve the whole cast. There's really nothing worse than a Robin Oshillard story that doesn't have the whole cast in it. You can't really do that. You have to have everyone in. Um, yeah. So I think you could. I think you could maybe get away with it for one episode if there's a really good reason. You can do it um, behind it, but, but but yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's it's Robin of Sherwood, so Robin's got to be in it. Tick box. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, and and unless there's a really good reason for leaving somebody else out, yeah, it it, it moves further and further away from what the actual essence of the program is because it, it's always Robin and the Marys, isn't it? Pretty much, it's this whole uh, basically family, yeah, they build up over the three years, and to to not have that, it just it just doesn't work. So I mean, in the series, you never you rarely saw someone go off without the rest of the Marys. And if you did No, and if they, if they do there's a there's a damn good reason for it, isn't there? Yeah. So most of the time they were all together. But like you could bring someone in, like a guest star, and then you kind of in dialogue you briefly explain why they're there and what the link is to this year. But I think the key to it is what he did in that year. Yeah. Because then you can you could build a good story out of it, but there's nothing really that really springs to mind for me of like oh I've got these great ideas but what, what to do with this guy? I just I'm just kind of lost here. But in terms of Little John, there's a lot of stuff you can do because he has so many aspects. There's the whole make thing that you need to resolve. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it was particularly going anywhere. I don't think they'd have got married. No, um, was never going to marry them off. No. Um, I mean, whether whether Kit would have gone down the route of killing Meg off at some point, I don't, I don't know if he'd have if he'd have ever done that. But I suppose you're heading. Well, you you you're left with three choices, aren't you? You either marry them, you kill her off, or you keep keep it as it is. Yeah, where he's he's just, got this, yeah. he's just got this girlfriend. Yeah, did he have like a fling in King's Floor? I got that impression, you know, with the seventh girl, the way they look at each other, that there was something there. I'm trying to think, was Meg in season one? Yeah, she's in Alan Adele. Oh right, yeah. So King's Floor's after that, and I yeah. thought, whoa, wait a minute. And the Witch of Elsin, I believe, as well. Right. She she seemed um like my impression is that the the relationship with John was actually played really quite nicely and was a really slow build. So in season one then I, I mean it seemed to me like a very um casual on off relationship. Mm. Wasn't anything serious. No, at least not the way he took it. Yeah. Because at the end, when Alan and Mildred are getting married and she kind of looks, he looks really reluctant. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, she she would have, I'm sure she would have been thinking much the same because again, it's it's an outlaw. What future has she really got with an outlaw? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Didn't she say that in Rutterkin? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. That's the same thing. So yeah, it's a question of whether Meg would have still been in the series going forward. I mean, I think I think they did explore with Rutterkin the only ending really they could have if they're going to be together. Mm. They've got, he's got John's got to leave the marriage, and they've got to get somewhere where they're not known, so that you know somebody's not going to be coming after John as an outlaw for their um, silver penny. Yeah. yeah. But also, for some mysterious reason, never explained, Meg can't join the outlaws. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's she's been perfectly useful, hasn't she, on several occasions in the past. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and uh, to, be, to be perfectly honest, in a, in a fight between Marion and Meg, my money would be on Meg. 
she she, she looks a lot scrappier um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah why why couldn't she join the outlaws it's just rampant sexism I will not have it. <laughs> part of the um, part of the rules of being an outlaw is that no manks are allowed. <laughs> oh, is that the rule? Apparently, no manks are allowed in this. Uh, Did they sign up for that? And John didn't. John didn't know when he signed up. <laughs> it's because he was possessed. He was just a bit flaky for a while afterwards. Yeah, she just can't. She's just—it's not a personal thing. She's just—it's just, it's just anyone called Meg. Yeah. No, I just wonder if they've got the inspiration from uh, uh, from Family Guy. Sorry, stupid Meg. <laughs> <laughs> well, Family Guy got it. Um, we don't care what you think, Meg. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Family Guy took it off Ross. It was a massively yeah. influential series, don't you know? Yeah, yeah, it must have. It must have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's kind of weird to think of the uh, of them being together. But I mean, you can speculate. Does does John have any family or anything, or anyone he could bring in? There's, no, there's never it. anyone mentioned, is there? Even when he's in Hathersage. No, he seems you to exist on his uh, entirely on his own. Yeah, because mm. I mean, a shepherd's hut. They they're generally like obviously where the sheep are, but they'll be on hills. They'll be away from the yeah. the regular yeah. village. So I'm guessing that he doesn't have any remaining family. What do we think at the end of The Greatest Enemy? Because they all split up and John goes back to Hathersage with Much, not Meg. Yeah, this is... Yeah. Again, Good point, well made. Yeah, uh, one assumes that it's because they leave um, Sherwood pretty quickly and pretty angrily. Hmm. But I, I, I assume Meg would have some strong words on this matter. <laughs> yeah. To return. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty. It was never actually said, was it? But it's pretty obvious it was John and Will that had the massive bust up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then everybody's flounced off. Yeah, they. I mean, they, they've they've lost Robin. They've obviously lost Marion as well because she's. I, I. How I read it is she'd gone back to her dad well before that. You know, so those two have had a massive bust up. The people who would normally step in between and go calm it down aren't there. You've only got Tuck, who's not really quite as good at controlling those two um, <laughs> as he as as other people are. Um, so yeah, so he's flounced off, and I I I always thought it was quite nice of John though that he's taken much with him. He's he's gone and stepped into that father's role. Yeah, and, and he's put much. Yeah, I love that that he takes much with him and looks after him. Um, I mean, it's probably just practicality, wasn't it? With Kip, he's going, oh God, don't, don't make me write another blooming story where another one of these Marys have gone. I'll stick in with John. But it, but yeah. it is I actually mean, really nice. It's interesting that in the third series, much seems closer to Will by the end. Yeah. You know, um, but in the start, he starts off with uh, John. Yeah, I, I would say with Will, he's, he's actually quite a family guy, but circumstances have pushed him another way yeah that would be interesting to um to have an idea of exactly what happened there. but also kind of horrible if you, yeah if you read that <laughs> so i mean little john has traditionally been at the end of the robin hood story would you like to have seen that for us or something different um, you mean you're talking about the uh, Kirkleys? Yeah, the whole Kirkleys. Sorry, thing. yeah. Well, me and Dan have actually been to Kirkleys separate, separately, but we've yeah. both been. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I suppose if the, if Ross was going to end with with that story, then um, I, th I think Kip could have done quite a lot with it, really. And it, it would have worked, but when you when you do see that in the in the stories, and and indeed when they did play it out in in Robin and Marion the film, then he's always Robin's always much older. Hmm. Yeah. So they've, they've got that problem with with Ross. Where if they did that, I think. I think it would have been a great ending, and I think it was one of the ones that Kip was thinking about, where this idea that little John afterwards would kind of become a wandering family deer 
and he'd go around telling tales of Robin Hood with uh, much with him, which I thought was really nice, really nice way to do it. Um, yeah, that that could have could have been really a really good one because that I don't think there was ever any intention that that the series was going to carry on with huge amounts of hooded men ad infinitum because it isn't Doctor Who. No. Um, so yeah, I think I think Kick would have finished it after Jason, and may, maybe that would have been his his uh, bow out. Like Loxley had the greatest enemy. Maybe Huntingdon would have had, you know, the Kirkleys, Abbey, and uh, you know, mm, maybe yeah. even what? Because in some stories, it's Marion, isn't it? That that does it, does it? and we have her. Yeah. Mm. So as a uh, as a nun, you know. Then, yeah, I don't know how they'd have got away with it on Saturday tea time, but um, I, I would definitely have watched the episode. They got away with greatest enemy and sort of violence. Yeah, only just get away with anything. <laughs> At that point, they they almost got away with Sheriff of Nottingham as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah, I mean they could have done that ending. So there was still such a lot of um, potential. Well, you never know. I mean, Kip always wanted a later time slot for Robin. I mean, maybe if it was a fourth series, he might finally have got his way and, you know, it might be on at eight or nine o'clock and they could do something a bit more uh, adult. Yeah, well, he also wanted to just record a couple of uh, specials, you know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, we know the fourth series was going to end with Robin and Marion's marriage, don't we? That's pretty well documented. But uh, yeah, so if he was going to do the, um, if he was going to do the death of Robin, that's that's at least going to be in the mythical series five. Mm -hmm. Series five. I I know. (laughs) Well, we're well going into the time tunnel now. (laughs) <laughs> I've never heard those words spoken before. I know. I know. I'm going to go down in history. Who first said Series 5? It was me. And the best thing is it on tape. It can't be disputed. Yeah, it's there. It's on record. <laughs> there forever. For people to say, it was her. I did it. It was me. Sorry. You did it. <laughs> and every up fingers across the land will click and say, damn it, I wish I'd said that first. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be mapping out Series 6 next. Yeah, <laughs> so we'll see if we can get it to Series 10. Yeah, maybe maybe Tuck puts a poultice on Robin or something, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Tuck invent audio plays. Yeah, but no, Kirk, Kirk please, um, um, like I said, me and Dan have been, it's a really interesting site. You can only get on it. Uh, it's private land. Um, they do, I think it's one or two weekends a year where you can go on guided tours around the site. Oh, smart. Um, a cu- couple of pounds you've got to pre-book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well worth the trip. We both really enjoyed it. Yeah, unless I live in that area. I've been near Not it. that I want to speak for Dan. You can speak for nope. yourself. No, <laughs> It sounds really good. I'd love to go. So yeah, I think we've pretty much covered everything here with Little John and this year. But yeah, it's been an interesting little chat here on the historical aspects and stuff with these characters. So I guess we'll say farewell. 